Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute, you know? The law is the law. Peter, this is in our hands. I mean, it really is. People were there. We will continue to raise our voices. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850 715 996. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. We have a tradition uh, in this building. We never guess how much. Radiothon is going to make. It goes back years. We never guess. We never speculate. We never write a number down on a piece of paper and wonder are we right. We just don't do it. We don't even look at the total as it's piling in because there are ways we can do that, but we don't. It's just not done. No one ever sees it coming in until the very last minute when one man walks into the studio with a little piece of paper and sometimes it's just a post-it that he's folded up in his pocket. He keeps it so close to his chest until the very last minute and then he reveals that figure and Lord knows, lads, I don't think any of us had any notion of what was about to happen at around 5 to 6 on Saturday evening because we weren't here last year. We didn't know what we were doing. We really didn't know how this would work. We were just hopeful that it would work well. Here's what happened. I'm delighted to announce that the overall total for the 2021 Quartz 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon is a fantastic €385,566. That is, that, that, that's wow. an incredible total any year, but, you know, particularly this year. Station Director Kieran McGeary. Kieran, that is humbling to hear that, wasn't it? Good morning to you. Morning, PJ. Absolutely. And I think year after year, we shouldn't be surprised at the, at the generosity of court people, but we it just blows us away year after year when we get to that stage and we hear the, the, the totals raised in Radiothon. As you quite rightly said... It was a very different Radiothon this year in the sense that um, a lot of the um, group fundraising activities that normally are the, 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 the you know, the, the heartblood of, of, of Radiothon couldn't go ahead for obvious reasons. Um, so we were very much relying on, on individual donations and people uh, signing up to become friends, which is, you know, to sign up to donate 12 euro a month uh, for the full year. So... To come out with the total at the end of it of, of €385,000 is just astonishing. And all we can do is, is say, well done to the people of Cork and thank them again. Um, and it's just fantastic for our five charity partners. You know, they, they've they had, uh, like all charities, they've had um, a, a tough sort of 18 months yeah. because, you know, the, the the only way they can raise money is through fundraising. And, and uh, because of the pandemic, a lot of that had to be put to one side. So it's, you know, it's it's more needed than ever, I suppose, uh, this year uh, for the, the, the charities. And you know what particularly struck me, Kieran, was that um, given the, the conversations we've had with hundreds of people on this programme over the last year and, and a bit, the people who've lost jobs, the families who've lost income, 
you know, people who haven't worked in months because of the COVID and, and been on a COVID payment for months on end and still they put their hands in their pockets. It's just astonishing. And I, I think, you know, that was the same if you go back to 2009, 2010, yes. when... Um, the, the, the economy was being badly hit and people were losing their jobs left, right and centre. In the same way, uh, Radiothon never never suffered. And, and I just wonder whether whether in, in, in difficult times like that, it, it focuses people's minds even more so, where they, they think, well, look, if, if, if times um, are this tough and, and if I find myself in the unfortunate situation where I need to um, avail of the services that are being provided uh, by the, 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 the charities and that um, uh, the Radiothon supports, well, then, you know, I, I would like to, to, to be in that position. So I just wonder whether that motivates people even more. It, it, it obviously does. And what we should not forget, Kieran, is, of course, you reveal that number at six o'clock Saturday evening, but people are still bringing money in and the bank account, for example, is still open. I strongly suspect we'll have gone over 400,000 by the time we close this. <laughs> that. I mean that 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 would just be phenomenal if if that was the case. Um, you, you're right, PJ. People can still donate through uh, any branch of AIB, um, for example. Or you don't need an account number. You just need to go into the the, the branch and say, "I'd like to donate to the Quartz 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon," and the uh, staff at at AIB branches in in Cork City and County are fully aware of it, and they will uh, do the necessary as they have done. Uh, on Thursday and Friday last week. Um, the uh, telephone number uh, for telephone donations um, is still operating as well today, so uh, people can still donate that way. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure at any stage in the coming months, um, the uh, Mercy Foundation offices on um, Washington Street uh, certainly w- wouldn't say no to, to any okay. donations for Radio Fan. Indeed, Kieran, and of course, the next our next job now is to start preparing for twenty twenty two. That's it. We all we always say that this is um, you know as soon as one radiothon finishes, it's time to start planning for for the next one. And and you know, I think it, it was a very different radiothon this year. We we um, we obviously couldn't do what we usually do, which is broadcast from. Uh, the the Mercy Hospital and CUH and, and Marymount. Um, it, it meant that the all programming came from our studios. Um, uh, that was very different. Um, and you know, maybe maybe there's something in there for us to start thinking about in the years ahead that that we we change how we do radiothon slightly, but keeping the the, the important thing is keeping the central message. Uh, there and um, you know keeping the importance of the services provided by the charities uh, front and centre. Indeed, Kieran, thanks for being with us on the Opinion Line this morning, and thank you uh, for everything. That is the station director here at Cork's ninety six. Man, one of the founders of Radiothon himself, uh, Kieran McGeary, three hundred and eighty five thousand five hundred and sixty six euro, and it's still coming in. There are no words to 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 cover our gratitude here. Except maybe thank you. And it doesn't even begin to go far enough. Look.
St. Catherine's School, we were here with them on Friday morning and they gave us such a laugh. They're out at the Model Farm Road and they normally used to do a huge coffee morning for us, but of course they weren't able to do that. So they had a crazy hair day and we had two of the youngsters on describing some of the hair to us. And we asked them for photographs and they sent us their photographs with the consent of their principal. And it was just so funny, the creativity and the art that they did. Well, St. Catherine's School on Model Farm Road raised, are you ready, 3,263 yo-yos. woo And on text, uh, 203-396-96-96, amazing amount raised for a brilliant cause. Just checking, can money still be lodged in AIB? Yes, it can. Any branch of AIB, just go in and say that you want to give to the Corks 96M Giving for Living Radiothon account, and they'll take your money from you. That number, as Kieran said, and thanks to our friends at Shock Voice who operated for us, 1850 50 96 96 is still open and still active today. And I'm sure if you go to the office of the Mercy Hospital Foundation, which is down opposite, you know, the centre near the courthouse on Washington Street, there's a big centre there. Directly opposite that, they are. Uh, They've opened a new office and they will take donations from you too. It was a most wonderful, wonderful thing to be involved in. And we look forward yet again to 2022. But the thank yous really are for you, the people who put your hands in your pockets, came up with an idea. And particularly to the people who gave us their interviews, who opened their lives and their stories and their journey to us. There are no words to express how much it means to us that they take us on trust and they share their story with us and they allow their story, some of them want their story to be used as part of the Radiothon. Um, And one will stay with me this year and that is the story of Ian. Um, His sister Chloe spoke to us for the Radiothon told the story of Ian who had passed away earlier this year and how he specifically wanted his story to be told on the Radiothon. There's no words to express how much that means to any of the crew in here to be part of it. So thank you to everyone who was involved. 1850 is the is the number to donate. And our number, 1850-715-996. Before I go to a break, something that I want you to think about. We're going to talk a little bit about the reopening and where it might go and when we might be able to go to the pub for a night and when we might be able to go to a gig, maybe to a match or something. Maybe go to any kind of an event. Maybe we get together. More of us can have a little party in people's houses. And something that's come back on the horizon this morning. I saw it on Twitter. There was a a woman on Twitter got piled on in that horrible cesspit type of a way that Twitter can pile upon you. When she queried how much it should cost to hire a babysitter, someone said, she she put up a tweet asking how much it might cost and someone said 10 euro an hour. And it went on to, hang on a second, uh, oh, and 100 euro if they're staying over, a minimum 50 quid for an evening. And she goes, this is ridiculously expensive. This is crazy. So then she got piled on for questioning. Like one of the things she said was, hang on a second now, the child will sleep grand. Child is good to go to sleep, will be sound asleep by the time we go out. She's going to have Pringles and lemonade and the Wi-Fi and the telly and will probably be on TikTok for the night. 
So, like, tenner an hour? Hang on a second. And other half dozen drinks, so we'll be driving her home. Like, seriously? Tenner an hour for that? So that was just what she threw out there. Not saying it wasn't worth, but it got into a discussion. How much do you pay for a babysitter? And you're of, if you're of that age where you'll need a babysitter in the weeks and months to come. Thankfully, thanks be to God, mine can look after themselves now. How much is fair for a babysitter? So let us just say you've got a table booked uh, in a pub when they open and you'll be out for the couple of hours, right? How much is fair to give a babysitter? Tenner an hour or a set fee for the evening? Say, what? 30 quid up to midnight, 50 quid after midnight, or a tenner an hour, minimum 50. If you stay over, is, is it, what do you pay a babysitter? All right. What would you, what would you give a babysitter? 1850-715-996 or text those ones to 083-396-9696. And do you think the woman is right? I won't name her because the pylon just got very nasty. Is it is she right when she says, hang on a second now? I'm paraphrasing her. You're not exactly breaking rocks. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. <laughs> All the stars on one show. This is Dara Lipa. Hi, this is Tiesto. Hi, this is Shane Conn. Hey, this is Anne-Marie. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. This is Joe Corey. I go by the name of The Weeknd. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks on your radio, weeknights from 8. With Lucy's Nissan Charleville. Put a smile on your face with the all-new Duke, the Coupe crossover. LucyMotors.com Corks 96 FM Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Yeah, how much do you think it's fair to pay a babysitter when you're able to next go to a pub or a restaurant or just out for an evening to a theatre when they open or whatever? How much is it fair to pay a babysitter? And do you think it's outrageous that someone would suggest, well, you're not exactly breaking rocks, you're sitting there on your phone on TikTok watching the telly and eating me Pringles. So what is it? I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to know at 083 396 96 96. I also would like your thoughts uh, on this. It caught us all, all of us who consider ourselves to be Eurovision followers and fans. It caught us rotten Saturday night. We never spotted that it was trending so heavily on social media. And betting sites. Italy, men's skin of the band. Cut us rotten. What did you think of that Saturday night? Was it a fair result? Did you enjoy the Eurovision Song Contest? I thoroughly did, by the way. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Anyway, publicans around the country are calling on the government to give a date for indoor trading to resume no later than Thursday the 1st of July. Now we know from the Irish Times and other papers this morning that the government are preparing an announcement for this Friday. Simon Harris, I think the week in politics, he was on yesterday talking about it. They're going to get together this week and we will get a plan by the end of the week, a detailed plan of what's happening for 
tourism, what's happening for travel, international travel, uh, and other and hospitality, uh, the, the the three, as it were, difficult sectors, and the uh, Vinders Federation wants a given date of the 1st of July, Thursday 1st of July and that indoor trading would resume no later than that. Now outdoor trading is due to start on the 7th of June and if you drive around a lot of places are preparing to do their best uh, to be able to occupy or have people in or out if you want around the 7th of June but there is still no solid date for reopening of indoor trading. Padre Cribben from VFI. Padre, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Is it fair to ask for or demand a specific date, given that a public health situation changes week to week? Uh, I think that uh, what we have said from uh, the 16th of March last year, that uh, it is important that public health is paramount. Uh, what we are saying now is that based on the government's uh, own numbers, etc., that it is reasonable to expect to have a day, a, a, an indicative date on which we can open indoors. Uh, we're all adults. Uh, we we understand the way this virus has changed. Uh, if um, is, if issues were to come to pass that made that date for whatever reason, and it's very difficult to see any reason now why why that might happen. Obviously, uh, we we accept that that might have been looked at, but. Uh, we're in optimistic tone. Uh, we're told that over 80% of people will have their first vaccination by the end of June. What we're seeing in other jurisdictions, uh, particularly north of the border, and bear in mind that... They're open there north, today. They're, they're open there today. But what we've seen there and what we've seen in England is that uh, after opening for outdoor, which seems to be the, the, the modus operandi, uh, that within uh, three weeks, uh, they're opening uh, indoors. And we're saying that there's a number of there's a number of reasons why we're saying not later than the first of July, and that's one. The other is that you know schools will all, all the primary schools will have been closed, so people will be looking at staycations. Uh, there's no point in going away uh, on a staycation if you know if, if you're going for four or five five or six days, that you know you're going to have breakfast, dinner, tea, and supper in the one room in the one hotel. So essentially, it's it's for those reasons and for the fact that. Uh, every day counts at this point in time in the context of businesses that have been closed for 15 months, in the context of 50,000 employees that have had no work for 15 months, and in the basis of family businesses that want mm. to try to get back to viability this year. Didn't we learn, though, from the folly of the past, Padraig, not to rely on dates, but to rely on data? Absolutely. Uh, I, I agree 100%. And if you look at the data right now, uh, and, and these are the comments, not, not, not from me, but from, from uh, government and from the medics, uh, we have, we're hovering on about 100 people in hospital. We're hovering on about um, 35 to 40 people in ICU. Uh, that's way, way down from where we were. Uh, and the main, the main difference in terms of the data uh, is the vaccine. We will have over 80% having a first vaccine by the end of June. Uh, and, you know, over 80% is close enough to full vaccination because there will be a reasonable cohort who are just not prepared to have vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. that, that, uh, and by then we should probably have the bones of 35% on full vaccination. Uh, absolutely. If not more. At least. And, and we're also being told now that once you've had 
uh, four weeks uh, over the 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 first uh, jab of the AstraZeneca, that you're 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 basically okay. Uh, if you take all of that into account, that thirty five percent spirals way above and well above fifty percent. Mm. You see, the Taoiseach made a comment a couple of weeks ago, Audrey, on the weekend politics. I think it was, and and I've bashed government on this program possibly unfairly sometimes, but I have done. But I was impressed. He said, what we want this time is when something opens, it stays open. So isn't it worth holding out until you get the, the nod to go rather than looking for a date? We all want when we open to stay open. Uh, there is a massive cost in closing down and opening up again, particularly in pubs, uh, because they're, they're unlike many other businesses, not like all other businesses, it's not as simple as going in on Monday morning, turning on the light switch and we're back in business. Uh, there's, there's a whole area around refrigeration. Uh, the product has a best before date. Uh, you have uh, lines, uh, beer lines that have to be cleaned each time. So there's a lot of work that has to be done. We all, we all want to make sure that when we open, we stay open. But the data, and, and bear in mind, uh, you know, the, even uh, members of NEFET who you certainly uh, are, are not shining uh, shining lights in terms of getting places reopened, are they themselves are saying they're optimistic that the kind of time frame that we're talking about uh, is doable. Mm. So what you want, the Taoiseach, I mean, we understand from the Irish Times this morning that we can expect, and other papers, that we can expect a major announcement by the end of the week, which will give clear indications for live events like matches and concerts and uh, and aviation, international flights and stuff, and hospital. So you want, effectively, by Friday evening, you want a date set down. Well, if you look, PJ, at what happened over the last two two months or so, uh, at the end of um, the, the last time that the, the Taoiseach um, walked down the steps and uh, uh, made his speech, uh, he indicated that outdoor uh, dining would start on the uh, and drinking would start on the seventh of June. If you go back to uh, the previous time he did that, he indicated what was going to happen on the tenth of May. So logically, what we would expect on Friday is uh, an indicative date as to when um, uh, indoor drinking and dining can, okay. can begin to take place. And we believe that that indicative date should be not later than the 1st of July. Can I just finish with something brief for you, Padraig? And I know this is going to be a discussion point with some people. I have, and I'm not going to name the premises, okay? So I don't intend to name the premises. But I have booked a table for the, a date in June... Uh, with some friends just to meet up. I haven't seen these people since before Christmas, some of them. And happy to sit outdoors, all of that, hoping the weather will hold. And the place I'm going to anyway is making great preparations and delighted to see it. But I thought we were told by the Thonished uh, last week that there would be no need for, for to have a substantial meal and there'd be no time limit. The booking confirmation that I've got back requires us to eat and offers o- only a limited time. So... That's surely not going to help. The problem we have as we, as we speak this morning, PJ, is that we do not have the guidelines. Uh, the guidelines for opening on the 7th of June are not available to us this morning, which is the 24th of May. So we will be able to open in two weeks' time, and we don't know the conditions under which we can open. So I would, I, I would assume, 
And my advice to our members has been, if you are planning, the best thing to do is to plan on the basis of where we were last year. I see. And anything else that happens after that is a bonus. I see. Now, so, so, so that is... It's, it's a serious So anybody problem. who is taking bookings, this actually clarifies a discussion I was having at the weekend with, with a friend, um, Patrick, one of the people that I'd hoped to meet on that date in June. And he raised the point, well, the, the, maybe they're going on last year's guidelines. Is that the case? The problem is we haven't got this year's guidelines. Because so, you uh, are going by last year's then? On, yes, and, and that... We would hope to have those guidelines this week, uh, but I've been down that road so many times last year that I'm not in a position to say to our members, look, I'm going to have them for you on Tuesday or Wednesday right. or Thursday. Uh, and and when, when they come, uh, you may find that that particular outlet will, will, will change that particular situation. Now, they may not be able to if they have taken bookings on that basis. Yeah. No, I mean, as I said, um, and again, the discuss- I, don't, I don't actually mind... Uh, having a bit of grub, you know, I don't. But what I would, what I would have a problem with, with the choice taken off me when it's supposed to be, I am supposed to have the choice, you know. And 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 it would be much better if we had had the guidelines much earlier. But people have to plan. Businesses have to plan. They've got to plan staff. They've got to they've got to plan stock. Yeah. Uh, and in that context, that's probably why they're planning on that basis. Gotcha. Now they may not be able to change because. Let's say you had booked from, uh, say, as an example, seven to nine, and I had booked from nine to eleven. Yes. Had to tell you they're a problem. Night, they'd have to come back to me. And they're say, a well, problem. Look. Yeah. It's it's actually so the time see, limit. You see I think. the issues that are there, but there will be a few teething problems. We'll get over them. Publicans do. All right. We'll talk again, uh, Padraig. Thank you very much. That's Padraig Crimmin, Crimmin, chief exec of the VFI. They're looking for the Taoiseach to stand up on Friday and state a specific date no later than the 1st of July when they can open indoors and out. Do you agree with him? Or as anyone watching science says, let's not be driven by the data. Or sorry, let's not be driven by dates. Let's not be driven by populism. Let's not be driven by what's happening elsewhere in Europe because this is Ireland. We do it our way. We do it for our people in our way on our science and our climate. So where, where do you stand? 1850 Nine nine six on the babysitter thing. Just, just I'm just throwing throwing it out there for those of us or those of you who have children of babysitting age, shall we say, and who will hope to go out again soon for a night out. Vanessa says, "Long gone are the days when you got five Irish pounds from eight o'clock to the early hours, and the parents came home and just bought you a spare bag of chips." Happy days, happy days indeed, Vanessa. And Tanette, the question should be: What price do you put on the safety of your children? Thankfully, mine are old enough to look after themselves if we go out, but I'd have no problem paying the going rate for someone to mind my children if I had to. And and Tanette, yeah, what is the going rate? Is the question we're trying to get at, Jim? 30 euro a night and maybe a fiver for every time they have to change a nappy. <laughs> yeah. Mags, a tenner an hour. Thank God we've teenagers in the house who'll do it for some phone credit and a few munchies. <laughs> On the text, when I was 19 and in college, I babysat for a friend that I worked with in my part time job. I minded three children, 11, 8, and 6. I got 30 euro from 9 o'clock until 3 or 4 a.m. Was picked up and the taxi that brought them home brought me home and it was all paid for. Wonder how that would go down today. And you probably had access to the fridge as well, I guess, to make yourself something, or maybe there was something left for you. So we'll run that one during the morning with the idea that, you know, you'll be able to go out again soon, hopefully. 
And of course, no one's forcing you to. If you feel you need to still stay at home for a little while, then that's what you do too. But if you're going out and you need to get a babysitter, what's the going rate? What do you consider, say, let's pick a time, say from half seven on a Friday night. The taxi comes half seven, Friday night. And you'll be home by half twelve, right? Home by half, half seven to half twelve. What's the going rate there? Is it 50 quid flat rate? Tenner an hour, or is it before midnight, after midnight? What if you have, end up maybe being a little bit late, and it might be one or two o'clock in the morning? What arrangements do you make? Is it 50 quid? And that's a great idea that the babysitter takes your taxi home, which of course you can do now through all the apps, you pay for the taxi, all of that. What is the going rate? And do you count the pizza that you leave? Do you count the fact they've got your Wi-Fi? Do you count the fact that they've got access to all your television? for the couple of hours. Do you count that as part of the package? If they stay over in the spare room, do you pay them for staying? Because one of the quotes we got on Twitter this morning, I was watching this, was 100 quid to arrive at 7 in the morning, or sorry, 7 in the evening, stay until after breakfast the following morning, 100 quid. 18, like, bear in mind, for seven or eight of those hours, you were asleep. So you're getting paid while you're sleeping. 1850 Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with Dairy Made Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The Corks 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon raising money for Cork Cancer Services. Your donations will make a massive difference. I'm delighted to announce that the overall total for the 2021 Corks 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon is a fantastic 380. €5,566. A huge thank you to everyone who supported the Corks 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon. Corks 96 FM. Seems to me I'm getting some information along the lines that a, a going rate for a long night for babysitting these days is about 70 quid. God, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I mean, on top of the cost of going out. Your thoughts at 083 396 96 96. All I can say is I'm damn glad that my, can, my two can mind themselves these days. We're putting, our, we're putting down the placards and we're walking away with our heads held high. That's a quote from the Debenhams workers reading from a Breda Graham article in the Echo at the weekend. After 406 days of picketing for a just redundancy settlement, former Debenhams workers put down their placards last week and walked away with their heads held high. Of course, the story broke while we were covering Radiothon here. So we were in Radiothon mode, so we didn't talk to the workers or their representatives. But we'll we'll change that now. Madeline Whelan, of course, mandate official with the Debenhams workers. Madeline, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. And of course, one of the workers yourselves. Um, in the end, I suppose you could look upon it as a victory or a defeat. Which is it? Well, I suppose we didn't get what we were looking for, which was part of the defeat, I suppose, really. But we did come away with something. And that's probably the best thing for us at, at the end of the day. After 406 days, we knew we weren't going to get anything better. And it was a victory for us because they didn't remove any of the stock on Patrick Street. And we were so relieved that that didn't happen. I was reading some articles over the weekend just 
on reflection over the last year and a bit and, and the fact that you've, we've always taken your cudgels up on, on this programme. But when, with coming into the pandemic, Debitums as a company was in rag order and, and effectively burst. Um, so there really wasn't much money there to give you anyway, was there? There wasn't really, but I mean, the online business was still our, our priority when, when we did go into liquidation, and that's where we think we were let down, really, because if the Irish government had gone after them at that stage, and the liquidators, maybe we would have got something, but mm. we just felt they didn't... Mm. Well, le- legally, the, legally, the liquidators couldn't lift a finger. Well, no, they couldn't, but I, <clears throat> like we, they claimed the English, the online business, whereas it was always in the uh, Irish section of it, you know, yeah, they were claiming yeah. it was theirs. And oh, that's yeah. where we really feel that the money could have came from first day. And at the end of the day, I suppose there's a lot of liquidation, but our thing was first day that all the stock was sitting inside in the stores and there was 22 millions worth of stock. Yes. yes. And it's been sold for pittance now, PJ. Absolutely pittance. So nobody won at the end of the day. The government yeah. didn't get what they wanted. Yeah. The creditors didn't, and we sorely didn't. You got some couple of bob, but nothing like, nothing like for example, you would have got if the agreement of 2016 had been... Have no. been honoured, but of course, once you enter the liquidation process, that agreement is is null and void under our law. So, so what's the hope now for the future, Madeline? We were hoping that anyone that was um, tickets for us in any of the unions, people that were in the unions, were are going to gain from this fund, and we will make sure, myself and Valerie, we will make sure that they're all looked after and yeah. help them to get courses. And it's a wellness fund; it's just not a training fund. It's different. So, to will they actually get a check, or will they? What, what will they get? We have no details totally sorted yet PJ because right. it's done the vote's gone through so I don't think it'll be a check but it'll be it'll be done through there'll be a committee myself or Valerie will be on it for Cork gotcha. and there'll be someone from Solis and someone from Mandate and are there sort of are there terms and conditions as it were as to how it can be distributed that has to be all sorted out yeah, yeah. Okay. because they, that couldn't be put in place while the vote hadn't taken place because we had rejected it once I suppose you know really okay Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So, so look, we're not quite out of it yet, but but, but there's something there's something there. I I think the concern though isn't it, Madeline? And again, put your union hat rather than your Debenhams workers hat on, and mandate being the shop workers union up and down the country. Like this won't be the last time. No, no, definitely not. And there is no protection, and the legislation we're going after PJ, and we will hound the government until we get it because ten years after Clary, we 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 cortex. And then it was us. And here we are again. No protection for the workers. It really needs to come into the stage. The Duffy car was sitting there for so many years. Mm. And now last and week, McBarry's bill yeah, put on hold for, for a year. For a full 12 months. Because yeah. they know what's coming, PJ. They know the, the retailers are in trouble coming down the line. That's yeah. why it's been put on hold. And that's the frustrating thing for us, really. Yeah, yeah. Because so in other countries, and, and you know... You can argue people people who were opposed to mixed politics, and 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 they'll argue loudly that it's fairyland stuff. But and sometimes and sometimes politics of any kind of any side can be dismissed as fairyland stuff. Of but course. but what Mick wants to do is already done in Portugal, is already done in Greece, and I think yeah. he named one other country. And it's there, and it's working for them. And I mean, the employers know they have to pay this before they take on anyone. So yeah, what's the problem? Plus the fact that if an insurance company goes wallop, they've got to have money in the bank to cover outstanding uh, debts, and that we have ended up the taxpayers ended up bailing the insurance companies out more than once. Yes, definitely, yeah, as well as the banks. Yeah.
So let's 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 look after the workers of the future. Yeah. Madeleine, do you know what? We we stuck with this from day one to day four hundred and six and it was kinda of sad the other day that we couldn't go live to you when the vote went through. But I'm sure you understand oh, uh, it was Radiothon. Yeah. Um but but <sighs> congratulations on sticking with it. Yeah, and we were very humbled, really, I suppose, last week, the fact that we, because up to the last Thursday, we were afraid the trucks would come because they'd come around the country. Mm. I suppose we were nervous in case something would happen with the vote, the vote coming, but look, we were humbled that they didn't come and we held them off. But can I just say, the people at Cork have been so good to us, as yourselves. We were so humbled that the people on the street stopping us, but there was just one person in particular. She's a local Cork solicitor, Carmel Best. She's been there from day one with us. She's been our, offered her guidance and information. What is her name again? Caramel Best. Caramel Best, okay. okay. Yeah, she's been very good because a lot of people were saying that we were laid up the garden path by the TDs and stuff like that. But we weren't because we knew exactly where the law was and what we could do. You, you had, in other words, you had quietly in the background a legal advisor. Yeah, and she was there day and night and she was on our shoulder constantly guiding us and volunteered everything for us. Okay. Absolutely brilliant. Okay. Thank Carmel you so Best. Much. Worthy of a mention. And also, yes. uh, we it didn't go unnoticed that you managed to put a few bob together for Radiothon as well. And thank you so much for that. Not at all. But you look, as I said, the people of Cork were so good to us and they were so kind every morning. I mean, there was people there and we were on the streets at half five, six o'clock coming over to us outside Patrick Street. And that meant a lot to us. All right, listen, Madeline, uh, good luck and thanks. Uh, that's Madeline Whelan of Mandate and a former Debenhams workers. Look at it as you will. There are those who say who had no sympathy. There are those who had a lot. There are those who accuse me of being biased towards the Debenhams workers. You're damn right, I was. Because I would hate to see any friend of mine or any relative of mine caught in the situation in which they were caught. Yes, I was bloody biased. Um, I'm glad that they held out there and I'm glad they got something in the end. You can give me the law all day long. The law isn't always right, you know. Talking earlier with Project Criven from VFI about the reopening of the country and where to expect a major announcement on Friday. Very significant decision to be announced on Friday. Now, whether they'll actually announce it this Friday, we don't know. Whether Michal Martin will make his way down the steps to the podium this Friday or maybe next weekend, we don't know. Because the weekend after, of course, is the June bank holiday weekend. We don't know. But already there's concern about about the hotels and, and how they might suffer a little bit. They're reopening on the 2nd of June. Uh, myself and, and the Queen Bee and the Umfala have booked ourselves a night in a hotel just to say we're glad they're back for the, the 4th of June. But, but anyway, the hotel sector is concerned, uh, Cork City hoteliers in particular, expressing concern that tourism could lag behind parts of the county. And as people head out of the city for staycations, you could end up with some empty hotels in the city. Fergal Hart is chair of the Cork City branch of the Hotels Federation. Hi, Fergal, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. It is a concern, isn't it, Like that people will head off down, and why wouldn't they head down to West Cork and East Cork and Kerry and all those places and book into hotels there? And some of you guys could be left looking at empty, at empty rooms. Yeah, I suppose it's, it's no great surprise to us, um, PJ, in the sense that this is the kind of pattern that we've seen uh, since the start of the crisis really last year, that obviously, you know, coastal, rural locations, um, destinations that are that are suitable or that, that are that cater for families, you know, they, they do best, um, certainly initially anyway. And, and that, that is a, obviously that, that's always been a fear for us here in the city. The, the IHF um, produce weekly surveys there. They have been doing for months and, and 
those figures kind of bear bear that out really you know in, in the most recent one for June um, I think the city was at roughly about 19% whereas the county was at about 48% for, mm. for occupancy in June so and that's you, with you the uncertainty that still out there as to what people will be able to do when they get somewhere well that's it too you know so we're, as, you, as, you, as you said there yourself PJ we're looking forward to the announcement now on Friday um, there was great optimism obviously with the last announcement and, and with the loosening of, of restrictions and really we're, we're looking at this in the long term you know even even for the summer um, for, for those kind of those locations that are doing better it's still, it's still only a kind of a three month period you know so we're, we're having to look a year ahead and really the, the lack of international business for example is, is, is a concern for the long term mm. Plus so, you've lost out on a fortune of functions weddings and stuff Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So the sooner we can get clarity on, on, on those kind of loosening of restrictions, the, the, the better really for us. And we're, we're seeing that in the north now today. We see the, the announcement there where, where, where cafes and bars are, are reopening and everything else and, mm. and, uh, and larger functions are being allowed. So all, all of that is good news and, and, and we hope that uh, we'll see our government will, will follow suit soon. A product from the Vendors Federation was saying to me earlier, look, we accept that... We must go with the data, not with dates. But if we have a date, it gives us an opportunity to plan. So you guys know that you're going to be opening on the second, like you at the Kingsley and the other hotels, able to open from the second. So a date for other things happening, how does that help, say, say the Kingsley? Yeah, it's, it's 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 crucial, really. You know, because we obviously we have to forecast ahead. We have to we have to try and the, the, the employment is the big one, PJ. You know, we need to decide how many staff we need and. That's that's been a key factor for us right from the start. Is just to ensure that we're employing as many people as we possibly can. That we're that we maintained as many of our of our staff from the start of the crisis on our on our on our books, and that we're able to bring those back. But obviously, we need to know you know the the level of business that we're allowed to take, and the only way we can do that is really to have that certainty around dates. And you know that that was a big criticism probably last year where we were getting maybe only two or three days or, or, or a week's notice at best um, mm. for, for reopening and things like that. That certainly improved a lot yeah. um, but I, I think what Porg is saying there is right, you know, the, the, the longer we have to plan ahead, the better because it just allows us to to set everything up correctly, and, and uh, you know, it's it's a difficult, it's still a difficult environment for, yeah. for hotels and, and for everyone else. And, and lastly, and very briefly, literally a sure. yes or no answer. Have you had a document yet as to the conditions surrounding the reopening on the second? Um, we've had one so far, but that that was very very similar to, to previous documents. So, okay. so we're we're hoping that that will be that that will be revised and that we'll see a further loosen, loosening of those restrictions. Well, I'd love to see a copy of that when it does come out. So maybe one of your members could get it to me because I've been interested to see how it compared to last summer. Fergal Hart from the Kingsley Hotel and the chair of Cork Branch of the IHF. Thank you. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Interesting conversation on social media this morning about that Ryanair flight effectively hijacked yesterday and forced to land in Belarus and this guy arrested on board and all of that. People asking on Twitter, like, what if Ryanair had just ignored this? 
and flown on their journey. Like, were they going to get shot down or what? They were approached by fighter pilots and forced to land. And this guy arrested. And it's a massive international incident and rightly so as disgraceful behaviour. But if Ryanair had just gone, Air check off you, we're going home. What would have happened? Then again, could they do that? Because they were being told, oh, there's a bomb on board. Which, of course, was a lie. It's a strange one, a big story. And it's a story that's going to get bigger because people are now calling on Belarus to be blackballed, that no one can fly in fly or fly out of it or that kind of thing. It's just a fascinating story. Of course, Ryanair caught up in the middle. Can you imagine if it had been a, a gang of people coming back from, say, Lanzarote, headed for Cork, and they had been diverted to some strange out-of-the-way place for a guy to be arrested off the plane. It would be filling this programme and filling every other programme. But obviously they were going from Athens to Vilnius, isn't it? And it doesn't fill the programme, but it's an interesting talking point in news anyway. 1850-715-996. Let us listen to... This is a just a, a quick snatch of a two-minute video. Uh, and I'll explain what's in it afterwards. We've been in lockdown for ages now and I'm bored out of my mind. What should we do? I found this really interesting quote from Shakespeare and I thought it really kind of summed up how I felt about the whole lockdown. Because we're teenagers, we don't have the independence that people in their 20s and 30s might have. Here are some of my finished artworks. I started a cooking Instagram account. It's been so useful to find amazing recipes online. I've been learning guitar using video tutorials. That was the things that bring us joy video. We've talked so much in the course of the pandemic about, you know, grabbing the things from every single day that bring you a little bit of joy. Avril Ronan, program, Global Programme Manager with Trend Micro. Avril, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks a million for having us on. Delighted to do so. It's a lovely, simple video with a strong message. Where did the yeah. idea come from? So uh, this is our 10th year running What's Your Story here at Trend Micro and um, my God, the videos really, they, they're so inspiring. We, we asked the question, how did the internet help you get through this past year? And that's what What's Your Story is all about. It's about asking a question each year and young people then, you know, the website's built for them. They create a piece of video up to two minutes, answer that question, get it online. Their job isn't over then. They have to be youth advocates, promote their own message, get their word out and be heard as young people. Mm. And the entries with the highest views go forward to our team of independent judges. We have them from WebWise to CyberSafe Kids to uh, Twitter and Facebook. Mm. Um, and young Irish filmmakers and they ju- they then score each of the finalists And uh, but the entries were so huge this year yeah. that we had to come in with a Critics' Choice Award as well and, and um, award even more yeah. So um, and we'd enter small around the country it was amazing The way that teenagers and others but teenagers have adapted to the internet over the last year they've, they've retrained the rest of us how to get the best out of it to be fair to them I, Do you know what? I think the internet is finally being used by us all for what it was actually intended and they sure do I mean you know tutorials if, if they don't know something or can't do something they don't ask anyone they just go online and use it as a, a library resource yeah, to amazing. figure it all out and we can all do that I, I found out how to unclog my dishwasher I tell you yeah. that the of it all but yeah. this of course there was a huge entry massive entry yeah. uh, a big competition by Trend Micro the winning video it's just two minutes long but it's very evocative yeah. 
it is YMCA Day, four young girls, uh, Alana, Amy, Eleanor uh, and Anna, and they, they never met. PJ ever. They only met through being part of YMCA, which they joined last year. And so they met online. They never met in person until the day I met them to give them the check down in Clon there about a week ago, um, which was June 10th. The first day we were all allowed loose around the country. And it was just lovely. And I got to see them all meet in face to face for the first time. Yeah. So that just shows you in itself, doesn't it? Like That's interesting because looking at the video, you'd think they'd known each other and that they yeah. actually genuinely were friends who couldn't see one another, which was great. Hold on there, Avril. And I want to ask you something else at the end too. Amy O'Brien's one of the four. You were the one with the, with, with the cookery fascination. Amy, good morning. That's that's congratulations on the win. That's that's the best bit. Now I didn't know that. You, none of you knew each other before you did this. Yeah, it's strange because actually we felt like we really knew each other really really well. Um, because we meet a lot online, but we'd never met in person ever. Yeah. So, describe the process of putting it together. The video. The video. Um, we met online a couple times, and the first time we just talked about like. Um, how did technology help us over the year and we were talking about all of our activism and advocacy and friends because we'd all made friends with each other before that Um, and we just kind of went through our answer to the question really and then we started coming up with loads and loads of ideas of um, how to make a video and really that video is just a combination of all of our ideas which is kind of what we all like about it so much. Yeah, there was you with the with with the cookery, and then there was someone else learning the guitar, which I thought was a, co- a cool idea. There's loads of videos out there, but you don't like. Ever made the point there, like teenagers now, you look at the internet as your library, don't you? Yeah, I think like it's just it's more automatic to just kind of look online and find the answer to a question, and I think teenagers a lot of time we can we know how to educate ourselves like on things like climate change in a way that some people find scarier because we just look it up online mm. Mm. and as you can you can teach us a fair bit as well about the world out there by saying just go online i mean if i ask my daughter one more time dad or said how can we do that oh she, dad just look it up it's all out there and it is all out there but when you were challenged to bring it together was that a bit different did you have to focus then yeah, I think it was actually quite fun because we kind of had all these different ideas and we kind of had to find a way to put it into two minutes. So mm. it was quite fun fun to work together and be creative. Fun. Two, two minutes is, is tough, isn't it? Yeah, it was really, really short. Yeah. And you did it really well and it was bang on time. And who did all the production and the video mixing and all that then? Um, well, the YMCA really helped us. Like, we have bits of technology and camera from the YMCA, mm. um, but they taught us as well and worked with us in terms of putting it together. Um, so we learned along the way in terms of how to put a video together. Another set of life skills for the future. Yeah, definitely. All right. Amy, congratulations to you and to your friends with that winning video, uh, Trend Micro Competition, of course, and... Uh, that the things that bring us joy is the name of the video and it is nice maybe we can share it um, Terry if we haven't done already let me go back though to Avril because I I, I, I think you're probably anticipating where I'm going to go with this totally removed from the the reason you're on this hack this HSE hack Avril Mm. you and other experts like you have been predicting for years that 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 cyber crime would going to become much bigger than we could handle this is this is the worst isn't it 
it is it's a nightmare isn't it PJ and uh, you know just just listening to it always constantly on the hour on the news what a way an awful way to educate the nation on ransomware and how to protect your privacy and not to click those links and not to give away personal information over the phone or via text I mean it's a really expensive and it's a heart-wrenching way to be educating the nation yeah. and and a sore one where but we're learning the hard way this way but um you know uh, Covid taught everyone what Zoom was. Look yeah. at the internet, what young people are doing, and um, we're learning as we go along about this. And it's it's a life skill as well, isn't it, Peter? Yeah. I mean, it's a big and a brilliant and a wonderful place is the internet, but it can also be dark and dangerous, as we have learned. Yeah, and we therefore we need the tools, the education, and the information to stay safe, but to use it and be successful online and be responsible online. And you're sick of me harping on about this, aren't you? No. Not at all. You've been on about this for years and that's why when I saw we were going to be talking to you today I said, I need to ask Avril and you've, you've summed it up. This is, this is a harsh lesson to us all how careful we need to be online. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, it's definitely raised awareness again with everybody. Absolutely. Sometimes things have to hit the news and we have to be burnt really badly but then we all seriously know about how to protect ourselves and our families and friends online then. All right, okay, Avril, thank you very much for being with us today on the Opinion Line. That's Avril Ronan, Global Programme Manager with Trend Micro. And to Amy O'Brien before that, part of the team that made the Things That Bring Us Joy video. She's from Mitchellstown, and it won that massive Trend Micro competition. 1850-715-996. Now, news in from Spain. Hey, ma'am, listen. They will be open to all vaccinated tourists from June 7th. So you'd be welcome in Spain if you're vaccinated. On hotels, caller was on was in Kinsale the other day, noticed all the trailers serving food to big queues on the far side of the bridge. Queues with very little social distancing going on. Yet all the restaurants are closed. It just doesn't make sense. And there are loads of those little trailers out around there now. Just on Radiothon, thank you to Christine Ambrose. Yes, we were talking to Chrissy on, was it Thursday? Thursday we heard a chat with Chrissy about what she's been through with her own cancer journey and wigs and all of that. And uh, at the Sweetness Hair and Beauty Salon, she ran her own fundraiser for Radiothon and she raised €400. And our good friend Joseph, Joe Byrne from Joseph's Hair Salon, he did his usual bit of divilment. He, he cut hair in heels for Radiothon uh, on Friday, I think it was, and he raised 750 quid. Yeah, legend, Jack. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. We had no idea that this was going to happen on Saturday night. At least I didn't anyway. Poor old Marty Wheel nearly fell out of his chair. Nearly spilled his Baileys. The shock of it. Or was it really a shock? Veteran Eurovision watcher Dermot Manning. Dermot, good morning. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Good. Was it really a shock what happened not, with Italy? Not at all. It was the runaway favourite. And, you know, the last, in the last three, four contests, the favourite going in on the night has won. 
and Italy, you couldn't back Italy. I mean, it's like you owe McKeevan's money uh, to win on Saturday night. Uh, t- uh, two years ago, the Dutch singer Duncan Lawrence was the favourite. The year before that, the Israeli singer was the favourite. The year before that, the Portuguese singer was the favourite. You're, so you're looking at the bookies' favourite then and the absolutely, public, the, yeah, the public favourite rather than... You see, there's two different schools here, isn't there? There's the enthusiasts and the fans and the official Eurovision movement, which was... After and the juries, which after the jury votes, the top three was France, Switzerland, and Malta. And the belief was among lots of people, certainly the group I was involved with on Saturday night, that Malta would would surge ahead with that magnificent pop song that they had, and they would come away with it. Or maybe, the, it would, but nobody, I think, that was watching it from what you might call the established fan base, thought that that Italy were going to get that massive public vote. Well, I mean, the the Italian group Monoskin, they didn't come out of nowhere, JP. They were the runner-up in the Italian X Factor in 2017. They've had uh, quite a good career in Italy since then. And they were the winner of the San Remo Festival this year. And for people that don't know, uh, the Eurovision Song Contest itself came out of the San Remo Festival in the 50s. And it's the contest is still going on. It's still very popular mm. in Italy. Italy's a country of over 60 million people, by the way. So if yeah. you're you know, winning a contest there, you're going to get a lot of publicity. And the you're an awful Festival, demon, by the way. You kept this to yourself last week when, I was, when you were on with me. I'm not sure. I, I, told you, I, I told you, if the, if the odds were Italy, France, uh, Malta and uh, Ukraine were the one that came right yeah. up at the end. But, uh, but Italy has been the favourite um, pretty much going back weeks at this stage, certainly since they won the San Remo. And this is the point I think it's important as well. Is the big thing about winning Eurovision these days is it's about momentum. You know, you kind of become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, if those countries like, you know, the, back in the day, like a country like Denmark won in 2000, came from absolutely nowhere. Nobody saw it winning. That's right. And it came and won on the night. That cannot happen now. I mean, they, these countries, they're, they're kind of talked about on social media. They're being downloaded on Spotify. They're being looked at on YouTube. And these are the things that, you know, that the odds checkers are keeping an eye on. And anyone who kept an eye on the download chart saw that Italy was way up there for the last mm. six, seven weeks. There was certainly so, a learning in it for those of us who've been watching it the traditional way for so many years, that in future we need to watch those trends. What did you think? Was that the first time they announced the public vote like that? I loved it. No, but 2016. 2016 yeah, but they did, they, did they announce it like you got zero, you got one, you got two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 2016 was the first year. I mean, that voting system, by the way, was first used in the Swedish uh, selection show, Melody Festival. And yeah. They, back in the early 2000s, had this idea of announcing the jury votes first and then combining all the telly votes together and putting them, giving them a block at the end. Yeah, because what people, I, I think what it is, is here, uh, Dermot, isn't it that, okay, the, the national jury gives its 12, 10, 8, whatever, down, yeah. and then they take the telly vote and they convert the telly vote into another vote like juries, isn't that right? And then that all goes into the Eurovision computer. Basically, so the idea is that every country, you know, gets a jury in the normal way, but the public vote is also translated into 12, 10, 8, 6, and so on from each country. And then every country's votes around Europe for, say, Moldova. Say, Moldova got seven from Ireland, six from Norway, four from Italy, and three from Spain. They just add up those, those individual scores, and then at the end they say, from all the tele votes around Europe, Moldova gets 22. And that's how it's done. Yeah. So they said they aggregate the votes. But the idea is, I'm sure you've watched Eurovision like me, JP. Uh, sorry, um, uh, PJ. 
where you have a situation where a country like uh, Loreen uh, won for Sweden there a few years ago. That's right. She got 12, like, she got 27, 12 sets of votes or something. I mean, she had a contest won after the third jury. And it's absolutely, it's endlessly tedious to watch something when it's a runaway victory like that. So the EBU had to sit down and say, we've got to keep the viewing audience in, interested yeah. in, the, in the voting. Oh, it was brilliant. Segment. I mean, it was, like, I certainly oh, didn't see it coming, but it was brilliant. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a runaway. I mean, they only won about 25 points. When you consider, like, the winner had 524 and France had 499. Yeah. There's only a thousand points there between them, and there's only 25 between them. So it was close. It was yeah, close. It was very close. And a lot of stuff connected to it. Like, they're, 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 and they're, they're only the ninth band to ever win Eurovision. Yeah, Eurovision tends to favour um, a solo artist. Why that is, I can't say. Maybe someone said it's a bit like when you watch tennis. You know, people like much prefer watching singles tennis than doubles. I don't know why people maybe root for a single, a solo singer more so than they might root for a group. It's, I, I, I don't know the reason behind that, but certainly over the years, far more solo singers have been entered into the contest as well. Finally, Dermot, coming back to it, look, another year we weren't in the in the Grand Prix. Um I was saying at the weekend to some of the people I was talking to, we really need to go back and strip this back to the bare bones and do it like we used to do it. Have we a realistic chance of ever getting into a grand final and ever competing properly in a grand final again? Absolutely. It goes back to the point I said at the beginning, uh, PJ. It's the momentum. You have to get somebody that excites the viewing audience, that people like, and bring something different to the thing. I mean, the other thing about this, the last Saturday, look at Finland. Another hard rock song came sixth. You know, who would have thought that two songs in that similar kind of vein would be in the top six in the contest? So be edgy. You'll try something different. I mean, we here in Ireland, we have that lovely singer, Tola McKay. Remember, she did the cover of the yes. M17 song. I mean, she's there. We have Dermot Kennedy. We have Shebelle. Like, we have any number of singers in this country that would, I think, be... Like, yeah, we have the talent audience. to do it. We absolutely have so. the very talent. Very much so, yeah. All right. Okay. Dermot, listen, good to talk to you, as always. Thank you very much. By the way, the Northern, do you remember... The, here's an interesting one I didn't realise that the last band to win Eurovision you'll know who they were Nordia of course <laughs> another crazy <laughs> at least next year JP PJ I'll be out in lovely Italy for two weeks enjoying the wine and the food and the sunshine so enjoy, lovely, enjoy my lovely friend country, and we, we, a lovely country to visit next year we will talk to you then take care thank you that's Dermot Manning Eurovision enthusiast of many years standing he has been to like 17 or 18 of them and does the whole two weeks thing you think we're fans anyway yeah that was the last band the last band to win Eurovision was Lordy Back in 2006, Hard Rock Hallelujah, another Hard Rock song. Third time a song in the national language has won since that rule was abandoned. And it's the first time since 1995 that the top three songs were not in English. Were you surprised by that? Were you as surprised as I was by that Italian win on Saturday night? Because myself and Terry were going, what? But when people had been looking at the trends, not so much the... Fan trends, not so much the Eurovision sort of camp trends, the ones in the Eurovision camp. Look at the trends outside. Look, that's, that's where the public vote's going to go. And Italy were red-hot favourites on the public trend 
which is interesting. Shanti says, great show. The Dutch really know how to party. Oh, yeah, and put on a great show. They put on a fabulous television show. Italy's win was the cherry on top, she says. There were many great contestants. It was hard to choose. Switzerland, France, Lithuania, Iceland, Malta, all great. But Italy was just fab. And another message. Whatever you think of the winning song or the way voting unfolded, it was four hours of fantastic escapism and entertainment. And indeed it was. I enjoyed every last minute of it on Saturday night. But I was surprised at that outcome. Were you as surprised as me? I'd love to hear. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Cork's 96FM. Susan thought France should have won. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. But she said the biggest surprise was Ukraine, which went from being at the bottom of the table to near the top. They finished up fifth. She said the song was terrible. Nothing worse than screeching. And she thinks this is why the public voting system should be done away with. But you didn't like the result. So, yeah, I, I get that. But the public voting system, no, don't ever do it. It was terrible on its own. But combined with the juries, I love it. It really adds to the tension of the night. Ukraine, wasn't that the one where the only thing they didn't do was sacrifice a goat? Yeah, I think that was that one. Thank you, Susan. 1850-715-996. We were talking uh, a number of weeks ago about the tragic, tragic passing of Connor King. And uh, what happened to him was just dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Uh, but Imelda, 
is running a fundraiser in his memory and already uh, that fundraiser has amassed quite an amount of money. But it's coming up on the 6th of June. You're doing a half marathon, Imelda. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Good, 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 good. Where did this idea come from? Um, well, Connor was buried on the Wednesday and I had been... It was a roller coaster since I got the call on the Sunday morning from his mom. And sure, all hands on deck, as we are in Ireland, brilliant people to pull together and help out in crisis times. So we were all obviously in the house for a couple of days, you know, going helping out, you know, doing anything we possibly could do. And um, so Wednesday came and went, and Thursday we were kind of all exhausted, whatever. And um, Saturday morning, I went for a usual bit of a run. Um, there's a group that I run with in Ballancolic, the Running Buddies. Um, so I happened to actually be on my own that Saturday morning, took off with one or two people, and we went, We were all doing different mileage. Mm-hmm. So I was running along, and just all that was in my head was Connor, and you know the way it'd be. I had certain songs coming out of my playlist, and they'd all bring up memories. So I said, God, I'd love you. You just want to do something, anything to, I don't know, make a terrible situation any tiny little bit good. So I decided, God, will I say tomorrow? Will I chance running the half marathon? Mm. That's usually on um, on the June weekend anyway. And so I said, maybe I could do it virtually and try and raise some money for the West Cork Rapids Response, who are a fantastic um, organisation. Um, so I came home and I said it to my children who normally go, Mom, you're crazy. Your ideas are crazy. Mm-hmm. And they just said to me for a change, that's a great idea. Who came up with that? Um, which, <laughs> it couldn't have been your like, idea, like. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was like, oh, th- thanks, lads. It actually was me. Wow, for what? They said. So I said I'd call over tomorrow that evening. And um, we were chatting away and I said, look, Mario, I have an idea. I was thinking about running the half marathon on the weekend in memory of Connor. And I try and raise some funds for the rapid response. Mm. So, you know, it's hard to know how these things will go. It's very soon. And you don't want to upset anybody over step the mark or whatever. So she said, oh, that's that's a lovely idea. That's really beautiful. Um, And I said, are you sure? And she said, any tiny bit of good we can get out of anything so tragic. It'll be amazing. And and it was an awful, an awful tragedy. Tell me a bit about the Connor you knew. Um, The Connor I knew was a little rascal, to be honest. I knew him since he was about four. He had the brightest, sparkly blue eyes, uh, like the ocean. The biggest, cheekiest smile. You know, he just kind of lit up a room. He, he was he actually was, he was actually a disgracefully good-looking lad, wasn't he? <laughs> he was, yeah. <laughs> he was, um, uh, like, jeepers, as, as Morris said, he nearly had the teeth burst off himself, and he'd be doing the hair for a half an hour in the morning. He <laughs> drove her insane when she'd be out in the car blowing the horn, going, come on, come on. But um, he, was, um, he was a very, very kind little boy. He was five years older than my eldest. Mm. And, you know, like, who was interested in a, a five-year-old when you were 10 or whatever? But, like, we'd often go to the forest. Um, and I had a little girl who was six years younger than Connor. And I remember one particular day, she got stuck in the mud below in the forest and she nearly lost her life. 
and Connor went to put Rose the mud, put the willies were left there. Well, mm-hmm. she stood at the side throwing an absolute bit of a tantrum till Connor had to go back in and pull out the willies as well. But he just, he was a very kind little boy. Um, he was an absolute do. Some extent to his sister, he just terrorised her and had such a laugh about it. You know, he was always into wrestling. He'd have heard Barbies and he'd be wrestling them and she'd be like, <laughs> Mom, cars, whatever, you know. So there was always great crack in the house. Um, from very young, he was very active. He, he'd love adventure. He was big into the swimming and very good at swimming. And mm. um, every summer and winter, um, they'd be on the beach surfing. He'd be in the water the whole time. Or if he wasn't in the water, he'd be trying to dig, a, dig the biggest hole on the beach and throw the smallies into it and have a bit of a laugh. Mm. He, he loved had, life. Oh, loved life. He was, he was um, they had a dog and a cat and he would have loved, loved the dog, Princess, who was an absolute crazy dog, I'd say. Anybody, most people in Douglas know that dog. But mm. uh, um, he was great for travel, rugby. Um, he had, uh, his uncle had five boys, absolutely. He idolised the five boys. Um, there was three of them older and one boy the same age as him, Sean, who he played rugby alongside of with Christians. They were great buddies and they just often, often take them kayaking, which was fabulous for Connor. He loved being in with the, the lads like, and they'd go yeah. wrestling after or whatever. Um, he got a lot into his 23 years. He did, he, he? he did. He did he a did. good bit of travelling. Um he did quite well in, or he was doing quite well in MTU and biomedical science. He was doing really well there. Nice. He worked part time in Rochester Park as a lifeguard, and honestly, they have been an absolute family to um, uh, to the King family since yeah. they've been a massive support. Yeah. They're and great people down there. Really oh, unbelievable! Yeah. Like I, I found it strange for kind of like a big organisation how much how together they were and how helpful they have been since, you know. Um, Also, he was just an amazing support to his aunt, who has a boy, Leo, he's 25, Mm -hmm. and that's Connor's first cousin. He has um, autism and would would need to be cared for full-time. And during the lockdown, Connor went every day nearly out to Leona to give her a break. She could go off for a walk. And he was really, he was really funny with Leo. He brought the fun out of Leo. Like, Leo was a massive boy and he'd put Leo on the swing and he'd be swinging him on the swing and he'd be trying to get him to do jobs. Uh. And Like, he was really, always a great support to Leo. Actually, well, he would have went out on a Sunday and left her have an hour to herself or whatever it was. Of course, his mum, so, his mum would have been, and when we heard the news his his mom would have been very well known to the special needs fraternity or community such as it is because she taught gardening and horticulture to so many kids in Skull Trieste for years. (laughs) And she'd be always trying to get Connor out in the garden and Connor would be allergic. Mm. But everybody has their has their speciality in some way and to be fair Connor was very kind to people like I was reading on RIP there one day because I just wanted to put something up from my children and you know just to say thank you for the memories and that kind of thing and um, there was there was a message up there from a boy in I think he was in fifth year in Christians when Connor was in sixth year and Connor was on the rugby team and he would have been always having a crack with the lads and I would imagine in the corridor, you know, like being kind of 
one of the popular kids without being looking to be popular, yes. you know. Yeah. And there was some young fella put up, um, just said he was a student in Christians. I was very shy and unconfident. And every time I'd see Connor in the corridor, he'd always nod his head and say, how you are you? And give him a smile. And it really boosted my confidence yeah. in that, that's a like test an That's yeah. an incredible endorsement of, of, of the young men. Now you've yeah. got the, it's for the West Cork Rapid Response. You have an idonate.ie page and mm-hmm. you set yourself a target of a thousand euro. You've gone a small bit over it, I think. A small little bit over it. You're exactly. at eight thousand. Yeah. We've, we've shared it now. See, can we get another couple Fantastic. of quid into it? Eight thousand six hundred and forty euro in it as of this moment. Yeah, and like people are absolutely incredible. Like it is, it just roller coastered immediately. Like I went to bed, I, I think I put it up at about half seven on a Thursday night last week, and um, on Friday morning I woke up to a thousand euros in the account. And then on that was Friday morning, Friday at lunchtime it was like three and a half thousand, and Friday evening it was five thousand one hundred. And yeah. um, I you know, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. There's, there's a little bit of an air of excitement and then you remember why it happened and you get this awful, you know, emptiness or heaviness in you. But at the same time, you know, you know, it's absolutely bittersweet. There's no other way. It shows, and, it shows the know. incredible love that there was out there for this young chap and yes, the support yeah. for what you want to do. And it's still open. And you, bear in mind now, you haven't set foot on the ground in anger yet before you actually do this. So this is before you ever set foot on the road on the no 6th pressure. of June. There's eight and a no half. Pressure, yeah. No pressure. Well, look, if, if we, um, we've shared it. Uh, if yeah, people want to, so want to help. Yeah, can I also just say on the night, like the old head, seven heads, Coast Guards were there along with the West Cork Rapid Response, the Kinsale Fire Brigade around Garda Siakona, and they all played their role in, like, they're just an absolute um, selfless mm. bunch of people. Like, everybody works really hard on what they do. Mm. Um, it's just that the Rapid Response are completely... They work on donations only and they have, you know, a lot of responders on the road and they have a critical care doctor and their work is incredible and selfless is all I can say, you know, so it is, it's great to be part of helping a tiny bit in any way at all. How, how are Connor's friends who were with him that night? Um, they're like, it's very hard for a 23-year-old, you know, to 22, 23, look, he has loads of friends there from 13 up to 30 I'd imagine and even his brother-in-law and all of his family I'd say they're all in shock and but the one thing they are doing is they're all sticking together they're all looking out for one another and looking after each other they're on to Anya the whole time they're they're surfing with Anya they're out with Anya which is a massive support to her it is just you know it, it is. It is the, va- the value of friendship at this time, oh, a time yeah. like this. You just can't put you can't put a value on it. Listen, you Imelda, can't put a value on it. They, they, it, they yeah. told me that you were nervous, but you've done him. You've you've, you've done him proud. Great. Well, come here if anybody's around on Sunday morning, the sixth of June, and would like to. Where are you sitting you know, out from? On a kilometer. I'm the, I'm going to go from Ballincollig at half nine, and I'm going to pass in to you because that's where I went to college. Then I'm going to go down Bishopstown Road because his grandparents, Elma and Dinny Duffy, live down there. So I'm going to go from there to kind of Toker, the Lock, St. Fembers Cathedral, onto Bishop Street, um, past St. Mary's of the Isles 
primary school is where Laura actually went to school and she grew up in the area because her dad was a guard in um, Barrick Street Garda Station. Mm-hmm. So you used to live up in the houses up behind the station, yeah, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fun story she has about when she was young in Ford's funeral home and, you know, in the area, she has very fond memories of the area. So I actually work in same areas of the Irish Primary School as well, and they've been a great support. So thanks to them. And just going to follow along the water, then down towards Black Rock. I'm just kind of going down along the water because Connor spent half of his life in the water. (laughs) And um, finish up around Monaghan Road area then, hopefully. (laughs) So that's kind of the plan. And, you know, I'd really like to say a massive thank you to everybody who has put any amount in, like my, my children's have put in their pocket money and you know it's just people are amazing I'd also like to just a quick thank you to say thank you to Brendan McCarthy who set up the page for me I was going to pretend he helped me but he set it up because I actually (laughs) couldn't (laughs) but yeah people are just amazing and you know the power of people is Fabulous. Isn't it? Isn't it phenomenal? Yeah. Melda, thank yeah, you for yeah. being with us today and best of luck with the event when it comes up on the 6th of June uh, in memory of Connor. And indeed, we have shared that uh, link, but it's at idonate.ie. And if you search for Connor King, it'll come up. And at the moment, from a target of €1,000 when Imelda came up with the idea, they are now at 8640 And the run takes place on the 6th of June and the fundraising runs until the 12th. So I think they'll get over that and then some. In memory of Connor King, who had so many dreams unfulfilled. We're being told now that those of us who've been out of the office for 12 to 15 months or partly in the office or one day here and one day there, but moreover the people who've been out of the office and working from from home in particular for the last 12 to 15 months, and most of us will be back in the office or have to talk about being back in the office by September, October. And in many ways, that's going to mean we have to change a lot of things that we had to change first, maybe 15 months ago. And some of those things we'll have got quite comfortable with. So we have to go and re-change again. And it might be more difficult to alter back to the old ways than we might think. Now, there was a book called The Burnout Solution. It was written by a woman called Siobhan Murray uh, about things like that. But I'm with, uh, Siobhan's with me today to, to focus a little bit on how we do sort of relearn again what we had to relearn about 15 months ago. And it might be uh, more difficult for some people. Siobhan, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. When people were sent home to work from home, they had to learn so many different things. You'd be amazed at the number of people now who are very comfortable with what they had, had to learn. And they're a little bit nervous about going back into the office. And, you know, I think it's interesting when we look back at last March, who would have thought we, we'd be where we are now? But we had no prior warning we didn't have that build-up of, oh, in six weeks' time, you're going to be working remotely. Um, we're going to be seeing all these people working from their kitchen tables or their bedrooms. It literally was one day you're in the office and the next day you're at home. So it very, very much was crisis. Uh, we were in a crisis response. Whereas I suppose a little bit of difference in this, in the transition, is that we have a little bit more... Uh, forward planning, which mm. is really good. That's the the big difference in in the di- in the, the two different scenarios. Um, last time we were in crisis and we were in high stress. 
Mm. Whereas now with that planning, we can look and see, okay, how are we going to manage ourselves in managing Mm. re-entry back into the workplace? See, in a way... You might say it's a good thing that we have a chance to pre-plan, but but maybe not, because sometimes if you if you have a chance to pre-plan, you also have an opportunity to worry. Yes, uh, worry about uh, the, the things that we've got used to, the things that we've liked, because as you rightly say, there's a lot of people who um, this has suited the working from home. Um, you know, the, the, the worry of the not being at home, if they've got kids, the back into that transport public transport, all of those things, how is it going to work? But I suppose what I would say for people who are starting to maybe worry um, about the if, buts and maybes is to take a little bit of time, sit down and write down what your worries are specifically. Because once we start worrying, there's a, 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 sometimes that, that, that ability for us to start catastrophizing that one worry and suddenly it it folds over and it it goes into every sort of part of our life. So sit down and get really specific. What are my worries? And then tackle each one of them. Or maybe there is only one. Yeah. Something else as well. There's a skill set that one brings to an office full of people that you don't necessarily need to have at home. And we have to dust off those skills again. Yeah. I, I do. I, I've laughed over the, the last 14 months. I mean, we wouldn't walk into the, the communal kitchen in our office and shout at somebody for not unloading the dishwasher. We may have got into the habit of doing that at home because our our new work colleagues have become our family. So we're going to have to kind of mind our P's and Q's a little bit um, in, in the, the work environment. Um, and just even the, the way that we interact with people, who we, we um, you know, we've, if we've got used to, if we're an introvert and we've got used to working at a home and we've become more productive um, because we like the silence, then being back in those open plan offices is going to be a little bit of a challenge as well. Mm, yeah, and plus boundaries are a thing too. Yes. And, you know, the one thing I would say about boundaries, boundaries, the, the whole art of how do we say no um, is it's all very easy to say, well, just learn to say no. It's not as easy as that. What I would advise people to do before we even start looking at what the boundaries are is to look at your own personal boundaries and is to actually tune into your feelings. And I know that may sound a little bit, that's all very touchy-feely, but if somebody's asking you repeatedly to do something, whether it's personally or professionally, and you feel that level of resentment or kickback in the, how you feel, mm. then you know that line has been crossed. Then you know that you, you don't have a boundary in place and that's where you need to start looking at mm. putting a boundary in place and maybe saying no or maybe saying, you know, I can do that for you but it means I won't be able to do something yes. else. Or I can do that for you but it's not going to happen today. And Absolutely. say it And say it in a way that they have to accept it. And that can be a difficult skill. Siobhan, I'm out of time. Thank you very much for that. Your book is called The Burnout Solution, but you've got a whole web, your website. Your, your website is what, Siobhan, where people can learn more? Twistingthejar. Twistingthejar.com. Great name for a website. I love that. Twistingthejar.com. Find out more on these skills uh, from Siobhan Murray. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairymaid Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? 
1850 715 996. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. God, it is unseasonably cold for the 24th of May. Oh, speaking of the 24th of May, I say happy birthday to me, me baby sister, Elmarie. Happy birthday today, kid. We'll, we'll raise it last soon enough when we're allowed. But it is, it's cold for the time of year. It was, I sat into the car this morning to come into work and it was like five degrees or even four degrees in May, like. At half seven, like. It needs to be about ten degrees warmer to feel anything like May. I mean, June weekend is the weekend after next and that's the start of summer, like. Seriously, needs to warm up very quickly. Down in East Cork yesterday, we took a spin down down to Ballycotton. We took a walk on the beach down there and down to have a look at the MV Alta from a distance. And we were down to beautiful, that gorgeous uh, beach that people are talking about. Belly Brannigan I had a look at that. But like, it was it was lovely. It wasn't cold, but by God, it didn't feel like May either. 1850-715-996. It really needs to seriously warm up, you know. I wonder if they're a government department we can blame for it. If we can, we will. On working from home, Tom says, supposing you have a family of four with a son and a daughter, and if you have three bedrooms, how are you going to turn one of them into an office? I am Tom's 12-year-old grandson asked him that the other night, saying, I'm not giving up my bedroom. Employers should have common sense. If you can't set up an office in a home, they need to set up something else. And there's also the issue of insurance. That was kind of a worry years ago, but now, or a year ago, but now, Tom, people are starting to go back into the office and will be probably at the back end of the year, which is probably no bad thing if the house is a bit cluttered with one or two or maybe more home offices and offices in the end of your bed can't be comfortable for anybody. I'm just glad we never had to do it. Or I never had to do it herself. Turned her bedroom into an office. Or right at the end of the bed into an office. But I used the kitchen and it suits me just fine. Anyway, we could rebel along about that all day long. But I don't want to. What about our focus on the outdoors? And we're told, look, it's going to be an outdoor summer. It'll be mostly outdoor dining. It'll be mostly outdoor everything, really, for the next few weeks to come. And outdoor schooling is a thing. Outdoor schooling really is a thing. That we bring the kids out into the outdoors and teach them in the outdoors when the weather suits. And of course we know that being outdoors is infinitely safer in terms of COVID-19. The chances of actually getting infected out in the open air are slim to none uh, at the best of times. So a lot of focus now is how can we help the children's education that way. And Neve Gagan, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. PJ? Tell me about human nature.ie. Well, human nature, I founded human nature uh, a few years ago. And basically, I kind of create uh, bespoke programs for all ages who are interested in connecting in meaningful ways to the self community and the natural environment. So basically, it's about getting people of all ages outside and tapping into our kind of innate creativity and yet remembering that we are all connected. Mm. Everything is connected. Bringing education into the open air. 
Yeah, so um, one of the programmes that I run through Human Nature is Forest School, Mucky Boots Forest School programme with my uh, colleague Aaron Towers. And um, so this can happen in school or out school, but for quite a few years we've been advocates of it happening within the school context because it just makes complete sense from where we're coming from. So um, maybe I'll explain a little bit what Forest School is. Would I? Would that yeah, be please, helpful? please, yeah, yeah. So Forest School is a kind of learner-centred, a child-led process, which uh, has close links actually to the regular curriculum objectives. Um, and the success of a Forest School um, like depends obviously on what the facilitator, the skilled Forest School practitioner brings with it. But it's also uh, kind of loads of learning opportunities to emerge based on the child's interaction in the setting. You know, so it's very much uh, an opportunity in all seasons, like all, it's a long-term um long-term process so the young people would go out or um, in in nature over a long period of time in all weathers you know Uh and experience the same setting over the different seasons and within that setting then the young people would like kind of you know they find what interests them they have choices you know within that setting and then as a facilitator we would kind of look for the opportunities to to learn within their interests if that Mm. makes sense so this is a bit more than bringing your maths book out into the forest Exactly. Like math, you know, math might happen by, you know, in, in, in counting something else. Maybe you're making a den, you know, and you're you're looking at building a structure. So then you have to think about form and structure and problem solving in an actual hands on way, you know, and find a way to communicate with your teammates and uh, express, you know, kind of how you're going to business. So you learn by doing, really, experiential Mm. learning, I suppose. A lot of people say these days that maybe our children are spending too much time with their little noses stuck in a book and and rather have them out in the air, in in life, as it were, in their their locality, learning life skills. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I think I think there's a balance. That's why I feel like it's a really, really uh, great marriage for a school in schools, you know, because uh, basically you have, you know, they can complement each other fantastically. But like too long sitting down, like and having to just take information, you know, um, I don't think is really like it's great. And you learn lots of things. But I think that balance of being able to move and be able to choose what you want to do and be able to actually for your physical and your mental well-being as well as for actually finding out more about who you are as an individual, what actually interests you. And for teachers as well, then having an opportunity to see their pupils in another in another light, to see them in a smaller group, to see what actually sparks them. That's been definitely what I've seen from the forest school we've been running in Cork, you know, for the last two years. And what how did it how do the kids take to it? I mean I'm sure it's lovely on a on a warm spring day. But it can't be too nice having to turn up in your waterproofs in November to be frozen and soaked. I know, you'd think that, wouldn't you? You definitely would. And some mornings I would, I'd be waking up going, oh my God, are we going outside? But actually, like, um, bar really high winds, in really high winds we do cancel because it's just not safe. You know what I mean? So in really high winds we do cancel. But every other every other weather we are there and... Like once you're kind of dressed, like you have your waterproof shoes on and you have your rain gear, you're dressed adequately. Really, the kids should they, should they find delight in the puddles and in the ice particles, and you know, like just actually exploring and being out and that freedom. It's just so kind of innately, naturally, what we want to do as a child. And actually, 
as adults as well, but we kind of have learned to hold that back a bit more, you know, <laughs> as we get older, <laughs> hide it better. But as a kid, it's just the kind of natural instinct is to really explore and, you know, once you're dressed right, I think all the weathers are fine, to be fair. That's that old saying that I despise with every fibre of my being. <laughs> This old yeah, nonsense about there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. God blast Billy Connolly for that. I hate it. But I, I suppose it has truth. That seems like kind of like, uh, I don't know, it's like kind of the inaccessible. I don't know, there's something about like you need to, you know, be buying into some kind of, you know, fancy gear or something. <laughs> but yeah, no, but I think there's some, you know, there's some truth in not wearing your cotton T-shirt on a cold winter day, you know. Well, there is that, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> And the kids will love it, obviously. The kids love it, you know, like, they really do, like, you know, um, they just, you know, they themselves, the last, the last week there, I was there with the group, and it was like, we kind of give them a chance to say what they like about it at the end of their few week sessions, you know, and they're like, oh, no, the last one was like, I love being in nature because it's where I belong, you know, like, and these, like, really, you know, they just are, it's their natural kind of, it's, it's play, it's exploration, they really just get there, they... Mm. They have the walk from the school because we work with the Educate together in Cork, you know, and they they walk from there to the site in UCC. So they have that kind of like, you know, mobility where they play games and then they just want to get off and in. And some of them I take to den building. Some of them want to do more nature crafts. Some of them are interested in making the popcorn or, or minding the fire, you know, but they really just kind of find find what it is that they want to do and they get on with it. You know, they just love it. The time flies. They really, mm. yeah. And I, and I think it's important for far as to have longer. It's not like a, a half an hour. You know, you need to have like two and a half hour sessions, mm. you know, at least so that there really is that immersion. You know, it's not like just a, we're out for a walk, we're back in again. It's a bit different than that, you know. Is it something that any school can do and will would you, for example, teach them how to do it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's been part of this uh, project with uh, the Educate Together was kind of really trying to establish a template, you know, that could be shared with other schools. So um, we're in our second year and it's been very obviously it's been a funny old last year, but we have managed to, you know, do it, complete it as best we can. Some of it was online, but most of it in person, you know. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so I think like really the feedback from the kids and the feedback from the teachers and the parents has been really, really positive. Okay. And I suppose if the school are like, if the school actually can see the value of this and are open to this kind of ethos and understanding that you can really hit and touch on most of the curriculum in a creative way in the outdoors, you know. And it just takes a little bit of, um, I suppose there's the desire by the principal is usually the person who holds the, you know, the power really in these things, you know, to, to go, this is actually going to be really valuable for our pupils. And then it's about trying to kind of just get that schedule, you know, to get the schedule you might break your class in two because smaller numbers are kind of important in fire school too. You're not working with 30 at a time. It's just, it's okay. nearly half a class, you know. But all of that has been figured out. We've managed, a, you know, a really good kind of template that's worked really okay. well for the school. And that's something that can be, I'm, I'm really happy to kind of work with other schools. And, and some people are getting in touch actually to try and figure out a way to do it. Okay. The hardest part is is finding the adequate and the, the space, you know. Okay. That's the... That's a trick. All right. Well, hopefully you can help them with that. Neve Gagan from humannature.ie. Forest schools are a thing. Learning in the outdoors are going to become an increasingly important thing, I guess, as we come out of this pandemic. Uh, humannature.ie. H-U-M-A-N-A-T-U-R-E. There's only one N. Humannature.ie is Neve's 
website. 1857 15996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The Two Grand Minute. It's Cork's biggest breakfast cash giveaway. Cash, 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 cash. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. On Cork's 96FM. Answer 10 questions. To claim all that cash. Oh, oh, oh my God. The winner, there you go, go, go. The 10 Grand Minute with Clona Vitamin Enriched Milk. Packed with vitamin D. Cork's Clona Dairy. Bringing a little sunshine to our lives. Casey and Ross in the morning. Don't it. On Cork's 96FM. Forgot to go back to your messages on babysitting. Just threw the question out earlier on this morning. The going rate for a babysitter, now that hopefully very, very soon we're able to go back out and meet people and socialise a little bit. Obviously, being extremely careful as we go along with that. Well, what is the going rate for a babysitter? There was a discussion on Twitter where a woman said, 10 euros an hour? to sit on TikTok and eat Pringles, more or less. And she got savaged for it. Of course she did. But we were just throwing that question out. Tara says, Morning, PJ. Where I live in West Cork, it's been €10 an hour for babysitting for years. Some kids might be asleep when the parents leave, but a lot don't stay asleep. You might have to change a nappy, give a bottle, pace the floor, play with them, console a child, which is hard because you might be a stranger to them. A babysitter is left in charge of a parent's most precious children. The money is well earned. I'm a mature mother of five who has babysat for years and now my girls do it too. People are more than willing to pay to have a lovely night out. I enjoy listening every day. Have a good day. Thank you, Tara. Another Tara in the UK. My babysitter is 18 and in college. She works for Mackie D's part-time. I asked her how much she got an hour from them. It's 6.50 sterling the legal living wage requirement for her age, not a penny more. So her eyes lit up when I said, well, we'd pay her seven fifty sterling an hour. Little does she know I chose that, as it's really easy to add up when you've had a few scoops. Four hours is 30 quid, which is grand. And she's online, she has TV, she has Netflix, and we leave loads of treats. Thank you, Tara. Uh, Chris says, a teenager babysitting for relatives 10 to 12 years ago, I'd get something like 20 or 30 quid for the whole night, plus whatever cash my uncle had in his pocket at the end of it. Not much, but sure it was nice. I had free reign to the telly and whatever food or drink they had in the house. Anonymous, I charge €10 an hour. I'm level aid and first aid qualified. It's way less than I make it work. If I were an unqualified teen, then maybe €25 per night. It's an interesting, interesting discussion. How much is it good to pay or how much is it acceptable to pay for a babysitter these days 1850 715996 do you know anybody who has schizophrenia have you ever lived with schizophrenia yourself do you even know what schizophrenia is well maybe this is the week we could all learn because our today rather is world schizophrenia day and we said we'd mark it uh, by spending a few minutes talking about it on the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. The coordinator of the Shine Cork Centre is Tian Herbert. Tian, good morning. Good morning. What is schizophrenia? 
So schizophrenia is considered to be, it's a serious mental health difficulty, okay? But it can disturb people's thoughts, their perceptions, their emotions, and their behavior. And it is more common than most of us think it is. Um, approximately one in every hundred people worldwide can suffer from schizophrenia. And is there a kind of a scale? Can you have it mild or severe? Um, it's not really a scale, but more that the symptoms someone will experience, how frequently or the degree that they experience them, will differ from person to person. Everyone with schizophrenia doesn't experience it in the same way. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Uh, and the old thing, schizophrenia, split personality, that's, that's bunkum, isn't it? It is bunkum. It's a completely different disorder. So kind of multiple personality disorder or what's now called disassociative identity disorder is a very, very different disorder. I think one of the things that confuses people is one of the symptoms of um, that would be symptoms can cause, say, um, distortion in people's thinking, their social interactions, and that can also be a symptom of schizophrenia. So it, it, they're completely different, but that one part's the same, and I think it has contributed to a really, really damaging myth for people yes. who have schizophrenia and has increased the stigma around it massively. So how would you know if you or a loved one might be showing the early signs? So usually schizophrenia will start kind of in the teenage years or young adulthood, so early 20s, okay, but it can occur later in life. Um, schizophrenia, if I break it down a little bit into kind of the symptoms, yes. okay, that might be slightly easier to identify, right? So schizophrenia is normally categorized in two different ways around active symptoms and passive symptoms, okay? And the active symptoms are kind of those more extreme or kind of slightly distressing symptoms that we would associate. So things like um, hallucinations, delusions having disorganized thoughts or speech or changes in behaviors and thoughts, okay? Um, now, you also have passive symptoms, okay? And these can tend to be longer lasting mm-hmm. um, and someone might have active, really, really acute mass active symptoms very, very quickly and very early on. It could come on more slowly for somebody. So kind of um, passive symptoms can be lack of energy, loss of interest and motivation in life, lack of concentration, difficulty in keeping up work, school, Daily routines can become very, very difficult. Um, kind of, the person might be less inclined to socialise or engage in conversations, um, and the person can become increasingly isolated. Okay. The disorganised thinking element. What is that? What does that actually mean? So yeah, good question. Um, so tendencies to have, say, trouble keeping track of thoughts and conversations, okay? So the person might find it hard to concentrate on one particular thing at any given time. They could drift from one thing to another, lose track of a conversation very, very easily, or find it very, very difficult to listen and kind of process information that they're being given. Sometimes it can be described by the person as, say, kind of that everyone becomes really hazy and they're almost sort of a dreamlike kind of state. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that then speech, can become very, very difficult or someone's conversation or speech might become very, very mixed up or they might be use like, a different word or mix up words or use rhyming words in one sentence that don't necessarily make sense. Right. Because they're thinking. Right. becoming divorced. The conversation you're having with them, that their responses may... You're wondering, what, what on earth is she saying? 
because they're experiencing the situation, the conversation very, very differently to how you're experiencing it. And it's very, very real for the person having the experience. And it's really important to acknowledge that if someone is having hallucinations or delusions or hearing voices, that it's very real for them. Mm. It might not be shared, even if you're in a room with the person, but for them, that's what's happening. That's their reality. And it can be very, very distressing. Mm. Not always. Some people will hear voices that are actually supportive and useful to them. Or there could be a combination of disturbing hallucinations or delusions or voices and mm. and voices that are more comforting and more supportive. And if someone appears to be having a hallucination, should those of us around them always take it seriously or should we try to play it down and say, no, you can't see that, you're only imagining it? What should we do? Um, in my experience or when I work with somebody, um, one of the things that I'll do is express to them that I'm not experiencing it. So I'll be authentic and I'll be sincere and kind of go, okay, that's not, I'm, I'm not seeing that. I'm not hearing that. But you seem to be really distressed about the fact that this is happening to you. So can I sit with you and help you stay safe while you're experiencing this? I got you. Don't dismiss it. Just Don't say, dismiss it. Right. And it, there's nothing you can do in that moment to change it, but you can support the person by being with them mm. so and it, letting that happen for them. Telling them a hundred times it's not there, that's not going to work because they think it is and, and, and that's their thought process at the moment. Exactly. Yes, gotcha, exactly. gotcha. How is it treated? Is it, is it treated with talk therapy or with meds? Both. Um, and any combination of the above that's going to work for you is my attitude. And what will work for one person won't work for the other person, okay? So generally with schizophrenia, medication, and there's a huge array of medication, right, that can significantly reduce the symptoms for someone with schizophrenia. Um, but it might not reduce or suppress all of the symptoms, okay? Um, and there are significant supports alternatives that are available when it comes to recovery. So talk therapies, be it counselling, psychotherapy, um, psychological therapies, like cognitive behavioural therapy, um, community mental health services, and then support services like, say, family supports, group work, and services like our own. Mm. Can, you do, can you live a relatively normal life? Can you hold down a job? Can you study? Can you... that kind yeah. of thing? Yes, 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 you absolutely can. With the right supports, anyone can hold down a job, pursue studies, live a fulfilling, rich, satisfying life if they have schizophrenia. Um, recovery for me and from our service is having the best possible quality of life you can have despite any symptoms you may or not, may not be experiencing at any one time. And the hope of that is really, really important. I think there's one takeaway from today for people. It's that, yes, people can have full lives, even if they have a mental health diagnosis, be it schizophrenia or any other diagnosis. Mm. I'm thinking in terms of someone who might be experiencing it with a loved one at the moment as they're listening to us, or maybe the person themselves is, is going through something that they don't understand. It must be quite frightening. Yes, it is. Um, particularly when, if you imagine you're 21 years of age, you're going to college, you're living a job, and you very, very suddenly start to have um, total lack of energy, lack of, lack of interest in your life, and you start to experience hallucinations or hear voices. I would be terrified if that was me. Um, and so having compassion understanding before the person, what they're going through is incredibly difficult to understand and to manage and deal with. I don't know anyone, myself included, who could manage to deal with that on my own. I would need other support. I would need other people to help me to do that. Mm. Um, and I think kind of, unfortunately, stigma around mental health kind of makes people feel like they can't talk about it or mm. that they will be judged or they will be thought to have 
multiple personality disorder yeah. if they say there's something wrong I'm not okay with this I'm really really uncomfortable with this we talk about it being as normal in the modern world how it should be as normal to say well I have asthma or I have a bad knee or I have schizophrenia it should be as normal it yeah. isn't though is it no, it's not. Um, and it is a huge, huge barrier for people coming forward and speaking to family members or GPs or accessing services like ours. Um, for me, physical health and mental health are th- the same from that point of view in terms of what should be available, the support should be, that should be available. And it's easier to manage any health condition, be it a mental health or a physical health condition, if people know you have it. Yeah. The amount of energy someone has to use to hide the fact that they are having this experience is huge and makes day-to-day much, much harder to manage. Yeah, because if, if, if you have schizophrenia and you manage it, say, with meds or with talk therapy or whatever, and for the most part, you get on and you have this normal life, and you have a job, and you know, you can then have the freedom to say to a loved one, to a friend, to your boss, look, I'm having a day-to-day, can, yeah. I'll be all right tomorrow, I'm having a lousy day-to-day. It needs to be that normal. Absolutely, absolutely, because like that, it makes self-care then much, much easier. Or actually, do you know what? I need to take a step back now today, need to mind myself, need to mm. get my energy back up so that I can manage tomorrow better. And any of us could use that. There are ways out of the rabbit hole, but if, you're, yeah. if, if, if you can't tell people that you're in it, you can't get out of it. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Have you a particular theme for Schizophrenia Day this year or something that you want to highlight? Yes, um, and I think it's really, really poignant, particularly with the year that's in it with COVID and kind of the impact on mental health is, so discovering better mental health is the theme for Schizophrenia Day for 2021. Um, and I think the, kind of the purpose is to spread awareness around schizophrenia, eradicate the myths and stigma like we've been talking about. Um, and Shine's message is that there is hope if you or a loved one um, has received a diagnosis of schizophrenia. Okay, so Schizophrenia can be successfully managed with the right supports. The earlier it's detected and treated, the better the chance the recovery um, and we also for us in Shine we really want the voice of the person with lived experience to be heard and to reduce the stigma associated with the illness Actually you mentioned recovery is, is it something that is with you lifelong or can you eliminate it completely? Uh, it can be. It does depend on the person. Some people will have it. Um, however, it's very, very, very rare that someone would have acute schizophrenia symptoms continually throughout their lives. They will lessen. And you might have times where you are more or less unwell. Um, but again, with medication, with talk, talk therapies, with recovery-orientated supports where you can figure out, okay, what are my triggers? What are my stressors? What days am I kind of better or worse than other days? And how can I support myself in that to reduce the time that someone could be very, very unwell. Gotcha. That is all possible. Some people will have an episode, be very, very unwell, and may never experience extreme symptoms again. It does vary massively for people. Yes, and the, and the ability to be able to say, I'm having a bad day or a bad week, that's, that's vital for people. Finally, I mean, have you, has COVID affected your work? <laughs> yes, I think like everybody, I think like some of your, your, um, your calls were saying earlier, yeah, we kind of usually opt files on a Friday and all moved home on a Monday thinking it would be a few weeks um, and that was over a year ago um, but what we were able to do is go online and we do Zoom meetings with people, we do phone calls, we will work with people by text, by email um, we have an e-zine that we send out once a week around kind of positive mental health tools and we're now looking at kind of workshops that we'll be able to run in the autumn around 
managing better mental health, managing anxiety, developing wellness tools, and then getting back into face-to-face recovery work with people when all of us are vaccinated. All right. Well, good luck with it uh, when it comes around. Uh, Tian Herbert from Shine. She's the coordinator of their Cork Centre. Hold on. Um, Stay there. There's a question coming in there. Can, yeah. Is there a ban on people with schizophrenia from getting visas? Not to my knowledge. I'd be very, very surprised if there was. Um, However, Shine does have um, uh, advocacy, is a component of our service. And um, so www.shine.ie is our website. All of our contact information is up there. If the person wants to get in touch with me with their particular question, I'll try and get it to the right person to answer it for them. Okay, well, that's the the best we can do. That's a brand new one. That's straight in off off left field. Tian, thank you very much with that. Shine. Uh, Shine.ie um, for that centre and they'll find out what that is. That's a very, very strange one. Caller wants to know if there's still a ban on people with schizophrenia from getting a visa. I can't say I've ever heard of it. 1850 Back to babysitting. Caller says they'd have been happy with a bag of chips if they were babysitting. <laughs> Bernie. Ah, Bernie. Ah, Bernie. I'll do this alone, the other one first. Caller says, what amazes me is so many people trust a stranger to mind their children, yet they wouldn't let a stranger drive their car up to the shop. A lot of people would know the babysitter, to be fair. And Bernie, there should be no need for babysitters. Parents should mind their own children. Parents nowadays want it all. They should leave the going out until the children get a bit older. Maybe get a family member to step in if needs be. Very hard, big ask of people, Bernie, to say when you have a child that you should sit in for eight, nine, ten, twelve years. Very hard to say to anyone you should sit in for that length of time. And I know people, I didn't go outside the door for 14 years. Well, you know what? That was different. Things were different then. Anyway. 1850-715-996. Mags was on about me. Yes, I do. I hate that expression. I hate it, hate it, hate it. I am a lifelong Billy Connolly fan, but I hate it, hate it, hate it. There's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. Stick your bad weather and your bad clothing up your gansey that you're wearing to keep the cold out. It may... 1850-715-996. I was talking earlier on to Avril from Trend Micro about how this hack, this HSE and Department of Health hack, is just the worst shock reminder to us all about how careful we need to be with our online security. But I think it was only a matter of time before people would start coming forward to say, well, look, whatever's going on with the hack... It is really affecting treatment for me or treatment for my kid or treatment for my relative or whatever. Jill, good morning to you. Good morning, TJ. How are you? Good. Talk to me about Keen. Um, basically, Keen is a little boy, eight years of age, um, has Down syndrome, was due to have an MRI on Friday, <laughs> just gone um, to check out if he had any it's Down syndrome-associated arthritis. Um, while he was under general, he was going to have an echo in his heart, uh, which was overdue for the last two years because of COVID. It was cancelled twice and we were going to have bloods done as well. So obviously the hack has um, 
rule that out at the moment and we don't know when we're going to get back. Because all the scans are off, aren't they? Yeah, everything's been cancelled um, last Friday. So, yeah, it's very disappointing. Yeah. Tell me about this arthritis. I, I never heard of it before. Um, it's a kind of, it's a, like children can, um, there's juvenile arthritis out there, but kids with Down syndrome, um, one in 50 children with Down syndrome can have this um, Down syndrome associated arthritis. It's very, it's very common. Um, and basically, we just need to have an MRI to, to have a diagnosis. Um, he has been shown a lot of um, pain in his legs. Um, he gets exhausted very easy. Mm. He would be thrown down um, after any type of an activity. You know, the after effect would would cause mm. a lot of havoc on him later. So he has been seen by the rheumatology in Crumlin mm-hmm. for the last two or three years. And basically we're waiting on, um, or we're seen, being seen in Cork as well. But the rheumatology department in, in Crumlin have been asked first to have an MRI, which Cork has arranged and basically to rule out or confirm um, if he has this. He did have COVID, didn't he? He had COVID after Christmas, yeah, but he he got through it very well, but um, got a little bit unwell in February afterwards. Mm. He got, you know, he um, with a lot of temperatures and seemed to have a lot of pains in legs and heads and things like that. So we didn't we couldn't seem to control things. There was an infection somewhere going on in the body, so he was on um, IV antibiotics for a good few days. He was in the hospital in Cork for nearly a week, and then he was transported to Crumlin um, by ambulance, and then we were up there for four or five days, basically just to rule out anything being this PIMS, which is kind of post-COVID, that affects a lot of children. Yeah, long COVID. Because, I mean, when I saw that, you know, he had, I mean, a lot of kids with with Downs have a problem with their chest anyway. Yeah, yeah. So the chest would be, a lot of kids with Downs syndrome would have weak chests or they could get a lot of chest infections. Basically their immune system could be compromised. Um, they, they pick up things quicker. They, mm. they, you know, they might, things might affect them because of obviously the umbrella of the, a lot of issues that they have under the umbrella of Down syndrome, you know? So, yes. um, yeah, there is, we're always on waiting lists for different things, appointments, medical conditions and things like that. But this has really, you know, COVID has slowed things down because we're not having the appointments in clinics as much. And a lot of it is over phones and things like that. Mm-hmm. But just when you think you're getting back on track and things are starting to this look up again. Along, yeah. really have they told you when they might be able to reschedule the scan No contact him? since just to say it was cancelled, basically. No contact to know what's happening. They're sure they're they're in such a state themselves, sure they can't even access the parents' contact numbers. True. Yeah, they can't look. And that's a very good point, Jill, because a lot of people don't don't seem to get that. Like they can't even if if your phone is contained Mm. for argument's sake on a consultant's computer, rather than have it written down in a diary, which they can't do that now. I know because of GDPR, but but. To access the database for your number, yeah. they can't get into the computer to do it. Yeah, we have, and also we have another an ear, nose, and throat appointment next Monday in under in CUH on one of their sideline clinics. But when I rang to see was that going ahead, they actually couldn't tell us that we were down on that list because they can't access. So they don't know who's coming in on say next Monday morning. Yeah, she just said, "Bring your letter with you. That it is going ahead." But like 
they can tell me if I rang and said, "Listen, I'm not sure is my appointment this there." She said, "I don't know because they can't." They can't they look. Can't contact. Also, we had another appointment for an ophthalmology appointment on Thursday, just gone as well, and I rang them to see if it was cancelled. And the lady, when I when she picked up the phone, she was like, "I'm so delighted that you contacted us because we can't contact you back." She said, "I've no number to contact you to tell you it was cancelled." So I said, "Thank God I rang." So you know. We have to just check and ring and see how we yeah. get on there. Like I know. think these are the things that we miss because when we're reporting about the hack and systems down and everything and hospitals down and all, it's I think it's the real human story like yours. Yeah, the things like your little boy is missing out on so much through nobody's fault nobody's except fault. them no, Russian guys, bozos yeah. who decided yeah. to hack the agency. Yeah, there's why? How could you like? The most vulnerable, how could you hack that? I Look, obviously they don't have hearts because uh, that's the one... You, I can see how could, they could go to banks and businesses and stuff like that, but to do such a vulnerable place and such risk with people's lives, um, thankfully Keen can wait for all these things, but there's people out there that are... Their treatments are delayed for, like, cancer, for inquiries and, and scans and things like that. Like they're really, mm. like even blood tests for certain things, yeah. they can't liaise with, with even through the departments, through yeah. internet and things like that. That's making life really, really yeah. more difficult than they need to be. Because even, even the Zoom call that was replacing the mm. doctors, that's gone now. Yeah, you can't do that now. They can't even get your contact details or to, to know you're on this list. So how are you going to reschedule when they don't even know you're due to come in? Because they can't even see it. Alright. Well, I wish you and him well, Keen well. Uh, Jill, thank you very much for being with us on the opinion. Like That's Jill Bourne, 1850 They're the, all, the ordinary people being affected by this. And look, we talk about hacks and cybersecurity and why this and who that and ransoms here and no ransoms there and how long it'll take and how long won't it take and encryption keys and how. D- That's all just babble when you've got a little eight year old boy who needs an MRI and and couldn't get it. And the other thing he needs, they they can't even ring his mom because the contact details are in a computer that they can't access. It's it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Well, festivals last year were just cancelled across the board. Right, left and centre, so there was nothing happened. And then... This year, we're adapting them. Adapting them in fantastic ways so they actually have the festival that last year we couldn't have. And the Cork Harbour Festival is back this year. I'm trying to remember Joya, Festival Manager Joya Kuhn. Were you completely sidelined last year or did you manage to get anything done at all? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. And last year was, um, oh, it was absolutely challenging. I think we um, we went into lockdown about a week or so before our festival launch. We had everything organised um, and suddenly had to sort of stand back and see, what are we going to do now? Um, so, of course, you know, we had to cancel the festival as we planned it. 
Um, but we did, um, you know, get together a really nice online program in the end, uh, which we did feature during May and June last year. It was a steep learning curve going online with everything. Yeah. Um and it's kind of hard, you know, to kind of think about it now. So many months down the line, it's become such a big part of our life to do everything online. But back then, that wasn't the norm, you know. So it was a, a big learning curve for us. But we did it and it was very well received. Yeah. So you're back this year. Are we, are we headed more towards a regular festival or is it a mixture? Um, it's going to be a mixture, um, but it's an exciting mixture. So we've actually... We've got over 40 events in our programme this year. Um, 28 of those are um, physical events or activities that festival goers can take part in. Um, 15 are online. So um, there are a few that are both online and also in-person events. I think um, event organisers have adapted really well over the last year to be able to deliver both online and in-person with the COVID restrictions in place. Yeah, the kayaking with Atlantic Sea kayaking, that looks exciting. It is exciting. Atlantic Sea kayaking, um, they're they're one of the most best-known kayaking companies in Ireland, um, and they're always booked out. They operate from West Cork and from Cork City, and this year they are doing sunset tours and Under the Bridges tours in Cork City, which will be really exciting. And you get into your own kayak and you guide it along. Yes, that's it. So they have singles or they have doubles. Um, and everything, of course, you know, with, with all the COVID uh, precautions in place. Um, and it's, it's, it's just beautiful for anybody who hasn't been on the River Lee and experienced that. I really encourage you to go out and do that because, you know, most people who have been living in Cork um, or around Cork for their lives for as long as they live they've never been on the river you know and yeah. the view that you get from the river is just something else it it's is very, it's, very it's something it's something different uh, even if you go out on a, on a, on a small boat Absolutely. out the harbour you, you you look at your city from a way you've never looked at it before and we, we should we should be doing it an awful lot more and it's two festivals like yours that we get to do it all the information is at corkharborfestival.com and can people buy tickets there Absolutely, yeah. Most of the events are free now, um, but for events like that, like the kayaking, there's sailing, there's power boating, those, of course, uh, have to be ticketed and um, there's booking links and everything on the website. Um, Even for events that are free, but outdoors, in-person events, everybody will have to register just so that we can comply with the uh, 15-person max capacity limit that's in place at the minute. Um, okay. But everybody is going to work really hard um, to deliver a, a great festival and great experience for okay. everyone. Well, good luck with it. CorkHarborFestival.com for more information. That's Joy Kuhn, their festival manager, festival director. Before we go today, I mentioned from my friend uh, Hank Waddell, who reminded me over the weekend of Bob Dylan's birthday coming up today. Not that I should need reminding. He's 80 today, is Bob Dylan. Churning out music since God knows when. So today is Bob Dylan's 80th birthday. If you're a fan, or even one of his songs resonates with you, we'll fade out on a blast of this with you. Programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fiona Corcoran. We'll see you tomorrow, just after nine. it is washed to the sea. Yes, and how many years can
And some people exist 